Okay, so this is part three of our current event and weekly Bible study for 10:21:07, and in this particular teaching, we're going to be talking about contraception and the Bible. Uh, this is going to be a very incredibly unpopular teaching with with most people. In fact, this teaching may uh, be for some people the thing that they'll never ever listen to me ever again for. And, you know, the Bible says in Galatians 4.16, Am I therefore become your enemy because I tell you the truth? Okay, now if you can refute this teaching, which I think personally, quite honestly, it's pretty much irrefutable once you look at the evidence in totality. From a biblical perspective, it's irrefutable. From a secular perspective, obviously, it's you can have your own opinion. There is a way which seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. And um, I'm just going to be talking about uh, biblical tenets, and if we go back further into, into early church history, how did they feel about this issue? So we're going to be trying to look at these sides of it. Knowing that we're living in the Laodicean church era, that is the most deceived church era that ever has been or ever will be, don't you think we might want to be looking at a lot of different things that maybe are considered today oh, not a factor? Don't we? Might we want to consider this? Now, last week we did a study on the biblical practices of witchcraft defined, and one of the things that we talked about was child sacrifice. Particularly in that particular time here, it was passing your children through the fire to Molech or Chemosh or, or whoever, Lilith, these types of things. And this that study will relate and tie into this, and then I'm going to be doing another one in the near future on um, the sacrament of abortion, how witches view abortion at the very highest levels, what they actually view these as sacrifices to their gods. So, if we go further, let's go to Genesis 128. Genesis 128. And we want to establish a foundation for this teaching. We want to establish biblical foundations for this teaching. Genesis 128. And God blessed them, and God said unto them, Be fruitful and multiply, and replenish the earth. <clears throat> and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the fowls of the air, and over every living thing that moveth upon the earth. Okay, this was God's biblical um, mandate to, uh, you know, essentially, humanity, Adam and Eve, and these types of things. So he said, be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth. That was God's command. Okay. And then Genesis 9.1 says, now this is after the flood, when everybody had been wiped out because of the wickedness, because particularly the fallen angels had come down and taken them human wives and defiled all humanity in the earth. Genesis 9.1 says, And God blessed Noah and his sons and said unto them, Be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth. So here we have God saying it again. Now remember, out of the mouth of two, two or three witnesses, a thing is established. Well now, right now we've got two scriptures here where God is saying, God who is the highest authority is saying, be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth. Genesis 9-7. And you, be fruitful and multiply, bring forth abundantly in the earth, and multiply therein. Third time God said it. Jeremiah 23-3. And I will gather the remnant, now I will put this, this will be in a PDF format, these verses will be in a PDF format with this teaching. So, if you go up to where the, the website, where the sermon's being preached, or if I send this out on email, I'll always include a little PDF uh, thing. I can't do it with every teaching, because some teachings, I don't have all the information in a typewritten format. 
But this one I do, so you'll be able to access this. Uh, so if we go further, Jeremiah 23, 3, And I will gather the remnant of my flock out of all countries, whither I have driven them. And I will bring them again to their folds, and they shall be fruitful and increase. Now God never says, well, you know, too many of you guys, you need to start backing off, you know, on this whole conception issue thing. I just don't see God saying that anywhere. I don't know, maybe I'm just crazy. Psalm 127, verse 3 through 6. Lo, children are an heritage of the Lord. Whoa. Children are a heritage of the Lord? Yep. And the fruit of the womb is his reward. As arrows are in the hand of a mighty man, so are children of the youth. Happy is the man that hath hath his quiver full of them. They shall not be ashamed, but they shall speak with the enemies in the gate. It says, happy is the man that hath his quiver full of them. That implies having a lot of kids. Okay. Now, Now, again, this is not my rule book. This isn't the world according to Scott. Okay, this is what the Bible says. I am not going to make apologies for what the Bible clearly mandates and says. Okay, so you can get mad at me all you want. You can jump up and down and say I'm a legalist or, or whatever. I'm just telling you, you know, this is what the Bible says. It says that the children are God's reward to the parents. And they're a heritage of the Lord. Happy is the man that hath his quiver full of them. Now, arrows are often an offensive weapon. Think about that. His quiver full of them? Hmm. As arrows are in the hand of the mighty man, so are children of the youth. Now, arrows are often an offensive weapon. Our children are weapons for the kingdom of Jesus Christ who will contend with their enemies in the gate. Whoa! Now we're talking about spiritual warfare here. In light of this, ask yourself this question. Would Satan want true born-again believers to have large or small families? What would Satan want? Just like we did on the last one with Halloween. Would Satan approve of this or would he disapprove? What would God think? Put, I mean, I'm not saying, you know, try to put yourself in the shoes of Almighty God, but, you know, it is kind of good to help clarify some points here. Would Satan want true born-again believers to have large or small families? Hmm. It seems apparent by reading the preceding verses that we just read, we already have God's answer. Jesus said in John 10.10, 10, The thief cometh not but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. What is abortion? Killing? Destroying? What does Jesus say? I am come that they might have life. What does giving birth imply? Giving life. That they might have life, and that they might have it more abundantly. From a physical standpoint, there is no greater way the Lord can manifest the gift of life than through the birth of a child. There's no other, I mean, other, yes, you can be born again. But I'm saying as far as a gift that he can give you, a manifest gift that he can give you, particularly once you've been saved, there's no other greater way he can manifest that than through the birth of a child. I have told you that the goal of the New World Order is to reduce world population by 65 to 85%. See the Georgia Guidestones. See Ted Turner's quote from the Audubon Society. He wants to lower world population to 350 million. 
The Georgia Guidestone says that they want to lower it to 500 million, which is an approximately a 90 to 95% reduction in world population. Well, isn't that what Satan's goal always is? To kill and to destroy? To steal? He wants death. We are created in God's image. He don't like us around. Period. The world around us is addicted to death and sin. As pagans around us abort their children and have smaller and smaller families, Christians, from a biblical standpoint, should be doing the very opposite. That's another thing to think about. If the pagans are doing it, if the world's doing it, if they're saying it's okay, don't we want to question it as Christians? What if true born-again Christians were growing their families like Mormons, Muslims, and Catholics? which are cults near the top of the list in growth and in numbers. Now, they're doing it so that they can advance their satanic agenda. Not a whole lot of people want to just convert to, to, to Islam. Oh yes, come and be one of us so you can give your life for Allah. Oh, that's fun. Where do I sign up? Where can I, I want to strap a nail bomb on my back and kill everybody. That's fun. Well, they'll buy into that whole thing about being with the 99 virgins and living perpetually with Allah. And as they're plunging into hell, they realize, you know what? I really bought a bad bill of goods. Really did. I'm burning in hell forever. And I was lied to. To their Allah, the moon god. <clears throat> but what if we were to adopt the same thing? Catholics are, are um, <coughs> against abortion. You'll see many times see Catholics in front of abortion clinics. It's one of the few common grounds I have with them. But the essence of why the Catholics are against abortion is because they want big Catholic families so that they can get the big money and the big control. They're not doing it because they're trying to fulfill some kind of biblical mandate. Their followers are going straight to hell. And Satan knows that. It's the largest pseudo-Christian cult on earth. So you have to understand, what are their motivations? What, you, you think Mormons want a big family because they want... They're t the people at the head of the Mormon religion want to get the religion bigger. And the, one of the best ways to do it is have big families. So their motivations are warped. I'm not saying that what they're doing is wrong by having big families, because I think it's obviously... Um, a biblical thing to do. The problem is, is they're bound up in false religion, and if those kids follow that false religion, they're just going to end up in hell. That's what I don't like about it. But a big reason for their growth is due to the large families that they tend to have. Okay, these religions I just mentioned. If their offspring do not get saved, they will ultimately burn in hell and take others with them to hell to suffer the same fate. Okay, I'm just talking, this is where the rubber meets the road. This is the ultimate goal of everything. Uh, the ultimate end of everything. Either heaven or hell. Okay? But Christians can do the exact opposite and raise godly children which ultimately impact this world for Christ and lead many to the Lord. This is how children can be used, like the Bible says, as a quiver. As arrows. An offensive weapon. We battle not against flesh and blood. We battle, battle. What, do you, what are arrows used for? Battles. Okay, we don't tend to think in these terms, in these militant terms. But the Bible talks about being a good soldier for the Lord. And, you know, uh, press on and, 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 you know, continue the fight and, and, and press on to the prize of the high calling and all these different things that, that have this militant uh, tone about them. Okay, in the Bible. And again, that's the Lord's book. Genesis 28.3 says, And God Almighty bless thee, 
and make thee fruitful, and multiply thee, that thou mayest be a multitude of people. So children are not seen by God as a burden, but a blessing. Doesn't matter how we see things. It, how we feel about an issue like this is absolutely irrevel, irrelevant in regard to if our feelings contradict what the Word of God says. Remember, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Your feelings are your heart, essentially. So, there's, there's another verse uh, confirming that. Genesis 28.3. I mean, he in this verse, he says, And the Lord God Almighty bless thee, and make thee fruitful. How, how is he primarily manifesting this blessing? By making them fruitful. And multiply thee. That's part of the blessing. That thou mayest be a multitude of people. Remember, it's God's rule book, not mine. It has been said that the root of most Christians' desires to have small families is a selfish desire for comfort. And in regard to the money that's saved. Okay? We think that we won't be able to have a night as nice of a house or as nice of a car as if we were to let God determine the size of our family. That's what this is really about. Isn't it? When you think about the, 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 the whole thing of contraception, that is you going in and basically saying, no, I don't trust God. I am going to determine the size of my family. I, and now you're talking about the thing that is the most, one of the most important things that you do, or could ever do, especially once you get saved. I don't know what more other important thing you could do as far as leaving a legacy than to have children. Okay? I think we've already proven that. So we think that we won't be able to, to have as nice of a house or nice of a car as we let God determine the size of our family. Now, is the God that created the universe going to give any Christian family more children that they can provide for? Question one. He created the universe. Does this also boil down to a lack of faith that Christians have in God to provide for a large family? Oh, we couldn't do it today. Now, granted, I will, I will tell, I will agree with you that, in, you know, inflation's through the roof, and it's all by design. This is all by design, particularly in America, to destroy the middle class. Okay. But again, are we going to keep our eyes on Jesus Christ? Or are we going to keep him on the situation? Is God as capable of providing in this, in this day and time as he was a hundred years ago? When this point wouldn't have even been debated? See, this conversation that I'm having today, this teaching, this wouldn't have been needed a hundred years ago. Because in the church, this wasn't even a point of debate. And we're going to discuss that in detail. So now, let's get into the main way families on this planet limit their size. Yes, I'm referring to contraception. I feel it is necessary to talk about the birth control pill first because there are some facts about the pill that you may not know. Hosea 4.6 says, My children are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Because thou hast rejected knowledge, I will also reject thee, and thou shalt be a priest to me no more, and I will also reject your children. That's what Hosea 4.6 essentially says. The birth control pill comes in many forms. <clears throat> From the progestin only pill, which is called the mini pill, to the combinations of progestin and estrogen, which would be considered the pill. There's also a patch that works in the same way as the pill, as the name indicates, is worn as a patch. Progestins and estrogen in the pill are artificial hormones designed to help a woman's body believe 
that is pregnant month after month. All the vital organs in her body are affected by the constant use of this pill. has all kind of horrific side effects, too. Okay? If you, especially if you take this stuff long term. It contains powerful steroids that constantly remain present in the body. The pill's artificial hormones suppress the woman's production of normal progesterone and estrogen. The constant presence of powerful steroids is not healthy. Now, what this will cause in a woman's body is just like if a bodybuilder takes steroids... It's called a negative feedback loop. When you're taking in hormones that your body normally would produce, what the body says is, hey, I'm getting all I need. I'm going to shut down my own production. So your ovaries, your, all the places where hormones are manufactured in the body, like the adrenals, the ovaries, the uterus, those organs start to basically atrophy and shut down because they're not needed anymore because you're getting all you need. This is why a bodybuilder who takes steroids, his testicles will shrink. Because... His body says, I'm getting all the testosterone I need. I don't need to produce anymore. The testicles are primarily where testosterone is made. Woman's body is no different. Okay? So that's a little, little education there. Um, the pill's artificial hormones suppress the woman's production of normal progesterone and estrogen. This constant presence of powerful steroids is not healthy. Not only are these steroids synthetic, they're not the same as what your body would produce. Therefore, you're going to get a drug-like side effect because of that. But then you're also going to cause a negative feedback loop in the system. So how does the pill work? The birth control pill can work in one of three ways. Now, this is something that most women don't know. It can prevent ovulation, which is the releasing of an egg from the ovary. That's one way it can work. Two, it can cause the cervical mucus, which is the mucus layer in the cervix to change so that if a sperm reaches the cervix, they are not allowed to enter. And three, the third way, it can irritate the lining of the uterus so that if the two first actions fail and the woman does become pregnant, the tiny baby boy or girl will die before he or she can actually attach to the lining of the uterus. Did you know that? <clears throat> well, what's that called? That's basically an abortion. There's a warning on the pills, and I'm going to go through a lot of these different birth control methods, and it'll say, warning, this may be abortifactant, meaning it can cause abortions. Don't you think Satan eats this up? Do you think that Satan would want a, what, would want a Christian woman to know about this? I mean, uh, people that aren't Christians, this may not even be an issue to them. They view the, the baby as not a baby, but a fetus. And it's not really real yet. Well, let me ask you a question, those that believe that. What about when you were two months old in the womb and considered a fetus? What if somebody had killed you? Would you be here right now? I don't think so. <clears throat> you eventually were born. We're a baby. You are the person you are now. You had to start somewhere. Come let us reason together, saith the Lord. We're going to talk about more of that too. <clears throat> In other words, if the third action occurs that we just mentioned, the woman's body rejects the tiny baby and he or she will die. See, the uterus lining is not suitable for implantation of the fertilized egg. This is called a chemical abortion when this happens. Because you're actually inducing this through chemicals. Abortion is an act of direct killing and takes the life of a tiny human being. A life that begins at fertilization. <clears throat> Now, before we look at these other verses to prove that life begins at fertilization, essentially, let's, let's look at some other contraceptive methods 
um, that could potentially cause abortions. Now, you, you, don't, you all don't have these notes, but um, this is from AbortionTV.com. AbortionTV.com. www.AbortionTV.com. I'll probably put this link on the website when I do the teaching. <clears throat> We've already talked about the pill. There's another one called the IUD. Inner uterine device is what it stands for. Which is this little thing that they insert in the woman's um, cervix and uterus, this type of area, and it basically irritates the lining of the uterus and the cervix, which prevents implantation of the fertilized egg. Okay? Interuterine device is a T-shaped plastic device that is inserted into the uterus, either copper um, either copper, or actually it says they can have the hormone progesterone associated with it. They prevent pregnancy by causing a reaction with the uterus lining, preventing an egg from being fertilized, or preventing the fertilized egg from implanting into the uterus wall. Now this would probably be the most abortifactive way you could go. If you really wanted to induce a lot of abortions, okay, this would be the way to go because this isn't doing anything to prevent ovulation. It's not really doing anything to prevent the egg from getting to the to the uh, uh, the egg getting to the uh, fertilized or the sperm getting to the fertilized egg through the fallopian tubes. It's really not doing anything there. It, yes, it does interfere with the lining, the mucus lining of the cervix and, and the uterus. But this way, would, of all the ways that I'm going to mention, would probably induce the most abortions by far. Okay. Another way, we've already talked about the pill. There's two kinds. There's the mini pill and the pill. They both interfere with changes in the cervical mucus. And whenever you change, interfere with changes in the cervical mucus, the birth control device then is potentially, um, <clears throat> is potentially abortifactive. Whenever you do that, just as a given. Then there's Depo-Provera, which is a hormone injection given by the doctor every three months, although slightly different than Norplant, Depo-Provera, and the mini-pill, these injections work in the same way. Depo-Provera hinders the development of the egg, and by changing the cervical mucus, thus helping to prevent sperm from reaching the egg. Okay, but again, this is also potentially abortifactive, because it interferes with the lining of the uh, mucus lining of the cervix. Then there's Norplant, which um, also may be abortifactive. Norplant is progestin hormone implant, consisting of six small plastic rods placed surgically under the skin of a woman's upper arms. Ah, my word! A low dose of progestin is then continuously released for up to five years. Norplant prevents pregnancy by inhibiting ovulation and by thickening the cervical mucus. Whenever you mess with the cervical mucus, you're, you're, you're potentially causing an abortion. Uh, women taking Norplant have been found to ovulate 11 to 73% of the time, making conception possible. But if the conception does occur, changes in the uterus will cause an abortion of the fertilized egg. That's the essence of all these abortifactive methods. Emergency contraception. Uh, the morning after pill. One of my... Ugh, this is an abomination. They're all abominations for the pit of hell, but this is 
one of the worst, if not the worst. The emergency contraception pill is a treatment which aims to present, prevent pregnancy by temporarily preventing eggs from being produced by stopping fertilization or by stopping implement, implementation of a fertilized egg into the uterus. The emergency contraception pill or the morning after pill is essentially one and the same. The treatment consists of two hormone pills, the first taken as soon as possible after unprotected intercourse. After. Notice that. So, fertilization could have easily already occurred. You take the pill after, because you're trying to abort the baby without having to go through all the three months later or six months later going to get an abortion. You think Satan likes this tool? So you take the first pill right after you have unpredicted, and then the second pill you take 12 hours later. That produce, that totally says it's abortifactive. It has to be. So, if we go further, let's look at what the Bible says about how he feels about us at conception. We've said these verses a couple weeks ago, but I'm going to say them again here for this teaching. The prophet Jeremiah said in Jeremiah 1, 4 through 5, Then the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Before I formed thee in the belly, I knew thee. He said, Before I formed thee in the belly, I knew thee. Speaking of the prophet Jeremiah. And before thou camest forth out of the womb, I sanctified thee. That word to mean sanctified means to be made holy and set apart. And I ordained thee a prophet unto the nations. When is our most pure time as human beings here on this earth? When, are we, when is the only time that we're actually... I mean, I know all men are born into sin, but I'm saying, when is the most pure time that we ever will be on this earth? When we're in the womb. Once we're born, it pretty much goes all downhill from there. Okay? It says, before, before thou camest out of the womb, I sanctified thee, and I ordained thee a prophet unto the nations. Sounds like God has our lives planned out for us. So when we interfere with the process of conception, are we, in effect, trying to play God? God's the one that said He sanctified Jeremiah and ordained him a prophet before he came out of the womb. Huh. Are we, in effect, trying to play God? What biblical... Show me the Bible... Book, chapter, and verse. What biblical right do we have as Christians to do such a thing? Hmm. I'm, this, is a, this is one of those come let us reason together, say it the Lord, teachings here. I'm just posing the questions. 1 Corinthians 6, 19-20 says, What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own? Whoa! Well, as a Christian... Well, I don't care what you say. I'm going to use it. And if some abortions get happen because I do it, well, then I'll just have to answer to God for that. Well, if that's the only conviction you got after hearing this information, I don't know. You better check if you're even saved. Has your conscience been seared with a hot iron? Can you even accept truth anymore? See, what I've noticed is that and I believe this is true, with a lot of these teachings that I put up, so far I haven't had a teaching refuted. I haven't had to take down a teaching. I've had to modify a couple of things that I said because of slips of the tongue. But, and I'm not saying that because I think I'm Mr. Know-it-all, know-everything perfect or whatever. I'm not saying that. 
But what I've noticed, and what I believe to be true, is that some people will get really, really fired up, they'll hear a couple of my teachings, and then all of a sudden I never hear from them again. You know what happened? I got to some little niche thing that was their pet sin, and they were not going to give it up. I'm sorry. Am I therefore become your enemy because I tell you the truth? There is a way which seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. Now, if you can biblically refute me, fine, do it. I don't want to deceive anybody. My goal up here, putting these teachings up there, is not to deceive, but to help. To help set the liberty, uh, or set the captives free. Give liberty to the captives, as the Bible talks about. I know at one time I was captive to sin. And as Christians, aren't we called in Ezekiel 3 and 33 to warn those if we see bad things that they're doing are coming? That's what we're doing here. The Bible says that you know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own. For you are bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God. See, God owns you lock, stock, and barrel. If you're a born-again Christian, you're His. The Bible talks about in Galatians 2.20 that we're crucified with Christ, and yet we, we live, but Christ lives within us and through us, okay? Via the Holy Spirit. So we really don't have, there's no biblical way we can justify where we can have the say to say, well, I don't care, I'm just going to do this. Are we going to say we have liberty to determine God's will in this matter? When God's will is very clear. Psalm 139, verse 13 through 16. For thou hast possessed my reins. Now, this is the psalmist talking to the Lord. For thou hast possessed my reins. Thou hast covered me in my mother's womb. See, God does this. God's the one that covers you in your mother's womb. I will praise thee, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. So this is what God thinks about babies. Little babies in the womb. Fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are thy works, and my soul knoweth right well. Aren't we created in God's image? Isn't that what the Bible said in Genesis? Come, let us make man in our image. Well, if we're made in God's image, do we have a right to destroy that creation? Do we have a right to determine when that creation, if that creation lives, or if that creation dies? Do we have that right? I don't know. Sounds to me like this is risky, really, really serious stuff now we're talking about. But people don't even give it a thought. They don't even... They don't even the, the, the implications of this are really serious. This is really not something you want to mess around, especially if this is the first time you're hearing this and you're getting your eyes open to this. You really need to, you really need to go and ponder this information. This is not something to be considered lightly. Very serious stuff here. Then it says, For I am fearfully and wonderfully made, marvelous all that works, and my soul knoweth right well. My substance was not hid from thee, hid from God. When I was made in secret, and curiously wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. Wrought means like to make. So our, I believe this is in reference to our soul and our spirit, which were curiously made in the lowest parts of the earth. Now, I can't get super dogmatic about this verse. It's the only verse in the Bible that I know of where it kind of gets into this. But see, that's how God knows us before our physical bodies are formed, because He curiously made us in the lowest parts of the earth before we were ever even conceived. So, if God made a soul and a spirit 
in the lowest parts of the earth, and conception takes place, soul and the spirit come in, now you have body, soul, spirit, what right do you have to snuff out that soul and spirit? I'm just going to pose a lot of questions today, just to think about. Thine eyes did see my substance, yet being unperfect, and in all thy book all my members were written. That's what God thinks about. Doesn't he say he knows the very hairs on our head? He knows when a sparrow falls. He knows that he, he numbers the very hairs on our head. In his book, he's got a special book where all of the attributes, evidently, of our body, soul, spirit are written. I think it might be important to God if he's got a whole book that's just dedicated to that one thing. Which in continuance were fashioned when as yet there was none of them. He basically created us out of nothing. How did he create the universe? Out of nothing. He spoke it into existence. He did the same thing with us. Pretty cool. I, I mean, I get fired up when I read this. This sounds pretty important to God. And this takes place prior to conception. Hmm. Of how much greater importance would the conception of a life of one of his children be to him? Hmm. I don't know, you'd have to ask God, but it sounds pretty important to me. According to God, according to his word, which he wrote, Psalm 22, verse 9 and 10. But thou art he that took me out of the mother of, took me out of the womb. So God is the one responsible for you coming out of the womb as well. He makes you soul and spirit prior to you going in the womb. He covers you when you're in the womb and protects you. And then he takes you out of the womb when, after you know the nine months. I was cast upon thee from the womb. Thou art my God from my mother's belly. Now that's basically, hey, God knows the beginning from the end. This is predetermined. You know, God, God knows if you're going to get saved. He's going to know if you're going to serve him. Not only does this verse imply that, that when you're born, it is God's doing, but also that there are those that know God from the womb. That's pretty cool. Didn't John the Baptist, when he was in the womb, when Mary came to him, didn't he like do a little leap in the belly? Well, oh, they're just fetuses. They're not real. Oh, okay. Well, let's go back to when you were in the belly. Were you not real? What are you now? Are you a human being? It just, you know, the, the abortionist arguments just, to me, so fall apart when you just ask a few basic questions. We're going to ask more of those later. Despite the keen attention given by pro-life crusaders to matters concerning abortion, with far too much detail regularly offered regarding such monstrous practices as partial birth abortion, very few are willing to consider the possibility that the pill and the patch can induce abortions by hormonally interfering with the implementation implantation of a fertilized egg in the uterus. So, we tend to only key on, oh, abortion rights. I wonder how many abortion people that have marched outside of clinics might be taking the pill. That's, hypo that's hypocrisy. Now, I'm not saying they even knew it, okay? But the thing is, is just think this thing through. Do some research if you're going to put this stuff in your body. It's a drug. It's a pharmaceutical drug. 
While Catholics reject, or at least they're supposed to reject contraception because their Pope tells them to do so, Christians are only supposed to listen to the Word of God. From the Apostles to 1930, now listen, from the Apostles to 1930, and before that, before the Apostles even, all the way back to Genesis, No true Christian, from the Apostles to 1930, and even further back than the Apostles, no true Christian denomination or group ever permitted this practice. Did you know that? It wasn't even a matter of debate. This was not permitted. Contraception was not permitted. Take away abortion. That was unheard of. But no true Christian denomination or group ever permitted this practice up to 1930. And it was a Christian state legislature across the country that made the trafficking of contraceptions, contraceptives illegal. It was illegal. Contraception was illegal. According to the laws of this country. Until the Supreme Court intruded into Griswold versus Connecticut, paving the way for Roe versus Wade. This is how the legislature ultimately ended up bringing this about. So in other words, 75 years ago, this message would have not even been necessary. What I'm doing right now wouldn't have been necessary 75 years ago. Because the topic was not a topic worthy of debate. I'm sorry, but it wasn't. Contraception was considered by Christians a grievous sin. And the fact was a foregone conclusion that was not even debated among Christians. True Christians. It wasn't, it wasn't up for debate. It would be like, for them it would be like, well, you know, it would be like debating the Ten Commandments. Are they still, are, are, is, is sin still sin? It wasn't really a matter of debate. Did you know the word contraception is not even listed in the Webster's 1828 Dictionary? Not even listed. So the next question to ask yourself would be, are Christians, are the Christians of today more right with God than those of times past? I said we're going to ask a lot of questions. The Bible warns us, speaking out about the Laodicean church and the current church age of Revelation 3, 14-19, and the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, These things saith the Amen and the faithful and the true witness, the beginning of the creation of God, I know thy works, that this is, this is today. Just say, you know, really this started, I believe, in 1881, when that first perverted revised version came out, and you also see an explosion of cults during that time. The Jehovah Witnesses, the Mormons, the Seventh-day Adventists, these types of things. The Charismatics started to come about. Uh, then you started getting the incorporation of the church, the 501c3, the Internal Revenue Service was formed in 1913, and... And then they started, that's how you have to go through, essentially, to get your 501c3 status, is bowing to the Internal Revenue Service. And you're yoking yourself up with the state, and all these things started happening, but it really started around 1881. Okay? So this is, the, this is really the Laodicean church era. Revelation 3.15, I know thy works that thou art neither cold nor hot. I wert thou were cold or hot. See, God would rather you be, either live like the devil, or, 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 or live like a Christian. One way or another. He says he'd rather you be that way. So then, because thou art lukewarm, and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. Well, isn't that like 99% of the church? The Bible says judgment must begin at the house of the Lord. 
Judgment's coming, and we deserve it. Another thing about this that I got into last week, when you abort babies, whatever the reason, whether it's an abortion or whatever, it is like spilling innocent blood. And what that does is it defiles the land. The Bible's very clear that innocent blood defiles the land. And when you've got all these abortions, and now we're, now we're talking about what about the abortions through contraception? Who knows what kind of numbers we're dealing with here? They didn't have this type of technology back in, in ancient days to even do something like this. Who knows what kind of astronomical numbers. The abortion statistics that I've seen from secular sources estimate since like 19, I don't know, 18 or 20 or whatever, there's been about an estimated 1 billion abortions worldwide. God was concerned about the blood of one man and his blood crying out from the land. Abel, Cain. He says the, the, the blood of your innocent brother cries out from the land and it defiles it. How much so more a billion? And Abel was a grown guy. He could defend himself. Little babies, little, little, a little, um, uh, little tiny baby that's just conceived can't defend himself. I don't know, man. If we if we don't deserve judgment, I don't know who does. And I'm saying these are these are abortion statistics worldwide. Okay, there's a lot to think about today, isn't there? If we could say that there's been a billion abortions, how many more conceptions have been aborted through these other methods that I mentioned? Who knows? Maybe it's ten times a billion. Easily it could be, if you think about it, because it's so much easier to do it with the pill or with the IUD or whatever. So much easier. Another thing. Even if the fertilization of the egg didn't occur, even if the contraceptive device just prevented the egg from getting in the sperm, what if that's a condom? That's preventing it from... What if it was God's will? Again, what right do you have to determine that? What right do you have? Now, granted, this should be done under in a biblical marriage setting. Okay? The vast majority of what's going on today is not that. At all. But I'm just saying, what right do we have to determine these things? Yeah. Um, yeah, um, there was a story this week of a, an 11-year-old, and there, I think it was a uh, school up in Maine, where they're going to actually allow you to go to the school nurse to get your contraception. Now, you can go there for a headache, you can go for this time, but you can also go there now to get your contraceptives. It's well known in, in uh, New York City, the subway has sponsored their own condoms. They've got like New York City, and they give them out in the schools. Hand them out, you know. Oh, hey, it prevents STDs, and, and there's no more unwanted pregnancies. See, it's all such an abomination. It's so far away from, from the Bible that it almost defies logic, you know. So, the Bible says in Revelation 3.16... So then, because thou art lukewarm, and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of thy mouth. Because thou sayest, I am rich, and increased with goods. Isn't that what the church is today? Look at Smiley Joe's church. Big old stadium church. Or, Schuler or whoever. These big, gigantic ministries on TBN. I mean, TBN, I mean, you, you, you look at the, the, uh, the backdrop, and everything's like, 
gold and ornate. You ever see that? It looks like some kind of, I don't know, like some kind of Victorian mansion dipped in gold or something. It's crazy. But that's what TBN's got going on, you know? But, see, that's appropriate because it says, Because thou sayest, I am rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing, and knowest that thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. See, that's what all those people, like, like, um, the guy on TBN. What's his name? Paul Crouch. And his Tammy Faye Baker, the second wife. I'm not lying. I really think that the demonic mantle, you know how like they had mantles, you know, Elijah and Elijah, the mantle was passed. I really think the demonic mantle that was on Tammy Faye Baker went over to his wife. Because she's no different. She looks the same. She's all makeup and, and <coughs> hair teased up to the roof and all this plastic surgery and stuff. It's crazy. It's like, oh, okay, now I can't emanate and operate through Tammy Faye as much. I'm going to go possess her. Was it Paul, Janet? Jaren Crouch, yeah. Anyway, that's just a theory. I can't. Again, we see through a glass darkly. But it just seems that way because she seems like a clone of the other. But see, these churches and these people... And particularly, this is a dynamic that's taking place in America. I, they're saying they're rich, they're increased with goods, they have need of nothing, and they know. And then they'll, they'll, they'll go so far as to say, as it did in Jeremiah 7, Jeremiah 11, and Jeremiah 14, that we are delivered because we're so holy. We are delivered to do these abominations. They glory in their shame. As according to uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 5, they're glorying in their shame. They're not purging out the old leaven. And they don't know because they're blind and their consciences are seared and because they've given heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils and they've speaking lies and hypocrisy. They don't know that they're wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked in God's eyes. And that's the only eyes that matter. Verse 18, I counsel thee to buy of me gold tried in the fire. Now that is, the gold tried in the fire is in reference to the trying of our faith. The trial of our faith. Which the Bible says, which is more precious than gold. Okay, we could do a whole study on that, but I don't have time right now. That thou mayest be what rich, truly rich in God's eyes, in white raiment, that thou mayest be clothed. White raiment has the impl impl implications of living a righteous, holy, sanctified life. White, the color white, white raiment. Okay, and I can prove it because it says that thou may be clothed. And that the shame of thy nakedness do not appear. See, if you don't have white raiment in heaven, the shame of your nakedness will appear. That's what this implies. Okay, and, and it says, I counsel of thee to buy of me. This is something we should be praying for. I'm not saying you're going to get, oh, oh, got a 20 bucks here, God, I'm going to buy some. It's not like that. In prayer, you go to God and actually, and actually ask the Lord. You know, I don't know. Lord, whatever this, the, the gold tried in the fire, I pray, Lord God, you give it to me. That thou mayest be rich. I want to be rich, but I want to be rich in the right way. I don't want to be rich greedy. I want to be rich in, in God's eyes. And Lord, that you would clothe me with white raiment, that the shame of my nakedness doesn't appear, and anoint my eyes with eyesalve that I might see. We don't really tend to pray this way. Because a lot of times, if God gives you these things, you're going to have to go through trials in order to get it. Trial of your faith. White raiment implies righteous living. Most people don't want to do that. Anointing your eyes with eye salve that you may see that might be a painful experience too. And then 
Revelation 3.9. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. That's what it says. But the church isn't doing that. God says, whom the Lord love, you also chasten. If, you're, if there's no chastisement on your life, and you're living like the devil, most likely you're not saved. So last year, a courageous young couple named Sam and Bethany Torod urged fellow Christians to forsake birth control in favor of what they call an open embrace. Now, this is an open embrace within marriage, which would essentially be like the way it's always been for uh, hundreds and hundreds and thousands of years, which basically is the marriage bed having the sexual union in a biblical marriage bed and letting God determine if you have kids or not. Okay? It's as simple as that. Just kind of the way God designed our bodies. Just don't hinder a process that that you have no right to hinder. There's also a um, a movement called Full Quiver. Now, if you there's this little show, I don't know, on Discovery, one of these, and it's about the, uh, what, what's the name of that big family that lives out in, like, Missouri, and there's, like, they've got, like, 18 kids or something. Uh, I forget what their names are. But anyway, they've got a whole little show on them, and they're Christians, and they've got this, they've got, like, 18 kids, and she just keeps having them. And I tell you what, that family, um, yeah. I don't think they're Catholics. They don't act Catholic. They said that something about, like, they want to go to our Catholic stuff. But they don't, like, want to go through the all. Well, if, if they are Catholics, I'm not aware of it. They, I don't get the impression that they're Catholics. I'm not saying that they're, um, that they're knowledgeable about everything that we're talking about today here. But I will say they do got the, the birth thing right. And they all wear, all the girls wear, wear dresses, all the boys are fully clothed, they're all, you know, they just, they all have biblical names, the whole nine yards. That's not something typically you see Catholics do. You just don't normally see that. That's more of a Baptist thing that you'll see do. But I'll tell you what, I think they're one of the most biblically correct from that standpoint families in all of America. And they're happy, and the kids are well-adjusted, and, you know, people will come and make comments, oh, that poor woman, she must be in a living hell. You know what? I've, this woman walks around and enjoy the Lord, and I'm telling you, you can see it all over her face. She doesn't wear, I don't think she even wears makeup, but she's got a glow about her. I love them. I love when I watch these people, I'm like, oh, I love them. I just like, I feel like I have a kindred spirit with them. I really do. And God has provided I mean, they've got, they got to have a big house, okay? And in fact, they were living in a small house, so they had to build a bigger one, and, and, and God's provided for them. God created the universe. That's, called, that's part of what they call the full quiver movement in America, and probably in other places too. And there's other families like this. And you know what? You go back, I've heard of families going back, you know, we go back 7,500 years ago, and this was common. Huge, gigantic families. During the Great Depression, they still did it. You know, I don't hear of any of these people starving to death. So, this two, these two people, this courageous Christian couple, Sam and Bethany Tarot, urged fellow Christians to forsake birth control in favor of an open embrace within marriage. Which would just essentially mean not using contraception. Their work reflects the deep commitment in pockets of resistance all over the United States to the official line that contraception is only a Catholic concern. Which, it, again, that's why I'm addressing it today. 
because the Catholics don't own this. This is a biblical matter. In a well-researched and poignant book, the Torahs argued that Christian attempts to separate the pleasures of the marital bed from the spiritual blessing of an openness to childbearing is unscriptural. I think we've proven that today. Too many Christians are simply unwilling to let go of the right to choose. In this case, the right to choose to reject God's blessings of children. The issue, therefore, is simply not discussed. Again, I guarantee you, Smiley Joe Olston, Paul and Janet Crouch, John Hagee, and all the others are discussing the same thing today. They, they did a dual teaching on Halloween and on contraception in the church. I guarantee you it's the same thing. So you can get this anywhere. Don't worry. You can turn on any channel. It'll be on. <laughs> Except they'll be telling you the opposite. So, um... The life that begins at the moment of conception is, thanks to efforts of the courageous pro-lifers, all but universally accepted among Bible-believing Christians. But for the most part, God's intentions for His creation is ignored when it comes to contraception. Okay? So let's make this issue more personal. Okay, so I'll start with myself. Let's make this personal. Because I could say, people could be listening to me now, oh, you think you're so this or you're so that or whatever. Hey, I grew up in a pro-abortion household. My mom to this day, gives money to Planned Parenthood. Which is the most... We're going to talk about Planned Parenthood in this other teaching I'm going to be doing. How wicked and corrupt and satanic that organization is. I just despise abortion. And I used to be pro-abortion like you wouldn't believe. Because that's all I, was, that's all I knew growing up. My mom had me brainwashed into thinking this. I despise it now. It's like those people that quit smoking and they're the ones that are like the worst against smokers. I don't know. I, I just... I despise it. I, I can't stand the fact that I was deceived all those years. And now I fight it. So you just redirect that energy into something that that's, promotes life. Remember, the fruit of the righteous tendeth to life. That's what the Bible says. The fruit of the righteous tendeth to life. How could you say contraception tendeth to life? It doesn't. Okay, There's just so many things you could think about here where you could make a case for this. Um, and again, if, if this gets you mad and you come back at me, and, and the, I, wanna, I want you to prove this to me biblically. Don't give me your opinion, because I'm not interested in anyone's opinions if it doesn't line up with the Word of God. I'm not interested in my own opinion if it doesn't line up with the Word of God. So I'm not going to be holding you to a higher accountability than I would hold myself. I think that's pretty fair. And, and on that light, I'll start with myself in regard to the contraception issue. What if I had chosen... To use contraception the night my daughter, Taylor, was conceived. What if I had done that? This is what I bring up to my mom. When we, we don't get in arguments anymore. Yeah, mom, what if I had chose to abort Taylor? Was she any less a person when she was in her mother's womb than she is now? If I would have aborted her then, she wouldn't be here. It's logic. That's what I mean about about the whole abortion issue. Just, you know, hit them. When, if you debate anybody like this, hit them with these types of questions. We're going to ask some more. Okay, so if I would have done this with Taylor, if I would have uh, used contraception, would this act have interfered with God's plan for Taylor? I think so. Yeah, she would be here. <laughs> yeah, really. I don't even like to think about it. <laughs> okay. Would it interfere with God's plan for me? Would have it affected me? 
She's not here. Would that have affected me? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I don't know what you like think about it. I'll, I'll start crying. <laughs> I admit it. For Okay. For the people she was created to touch in a godly way, would it affect them? Down the road? She's a blessing. Just ask her. No, just kidding. <laughs> just kidding. She wouldn't say that. No, but seriously. And she does. She's touched many people in a godly way. And there's a lot more she's going to, I believe. Okay. Would it affect... Would have it affected those that she would have led to the Lord? Oh, now they get to go to hell because she wasn't even born. Oh, boy. Are these some questions to ponder. Maybe that's why it says that, that, that where it talks about, like, quivers. Like an arrow, uh, like a quiver full of arrows. Are the children in the hands of the Lord. Well, what is the best offensive weapon you could use against the kingdom of Satan? The best offensive weapon would be get somebody from Satan's camp on your side. Now they're against the bad camp. That's a pretty good offensive weapon. I mean, if you were going to battle with somebody and you had a million people in front of you and half of them converted to your side, that would be pretty cool. Now, I'm not going to say that that's going to be those kind of numbers, but that's ultimately why we're left here on earth once we're saved is to ultimately be a ble- that the Lord's name be glorified through us, and hopefully we can win some people to the Lord, through the Lord Jesus Christ, through the power of His Holy Spirit, not of ourselves, lest any man should boast. But Okay, so these are some things to think about. Uh, here's another question. Oh, so we could go on and on with these. Okay, so now, here's another one. Ask yourself the same question in regard to the children you have had, if that applies to you, as either a dad or a mom. Just ask yourself the same question about anyone that you've had. Okay, let's make it more personal. What if you had never been born because of contraception or an abortion? Would that have affected your family? Hmm. Now ask yourself this question. What if your parents had chosen to use contraception the night you were conceived? You wouldn't be here. We could go back and back and back with that one. If that were the case, none of us would even be here right now. Listening to this. Be silent. Which is what Satan wants. He doesn't want anybody in in the kingdom of God to fight. He wants them to sit down and, and, you know, wallow in the world. The Lord says, come let us reason together, as I've said. That's what we're doing today. There need to be no proof text for Christians to suggest that homosexuality is a sin. But there's a lot of proof text of what we looked at today. We can, all you got to do is look at these things and say, okay, well, how can, if God says be fruitful, multiply, and all these other things, and He connects blessings with with being fruitful, and and children is a heritage of the Lord, and, and a quiver full of arrows, and all these things, how can we connect abortion or contraception with a blessing from God? It's you don't need, you know, it's there in the Bible. Instead, the biblical witness testifies to that which is already obvious from natural revelation. Likewise, it was obvious to the early Christians that the natural purpose of the marital union was procreative as well as unitive. So in other words, to unite them, when, when you unite yourself with your wife, you're almost like you're uniting you know, yourself on a spiritual level as well as a physical level. 
but also procreative. The revelation of God in natural law was reflected in his dealing with Onan. Okay, now let's talk about contraception. There is a time in the Bible where, where contraception was used. Did you know that? Well, here, let's talk about it. And let's see what God did in this one instance. Genesis 38. Um, the revelation of God in natural law and his deal with Onan, who in Genesis 38 was commanded by his father. Now, you can read this, but um, I'm just going to... Uh, paraphrase this. He was commanded by his father Judah to take his late brother's wife. His br late brother had died. His name was E.R. Er was his name. Um, or Er. Sorry. <laughs> that's, a, that's a name. Now that's a name. A two letter name. Um, anyway. He was commanded by his father Judah to take his dad, Judah, I shouldn't call him father, because the Bible says, call no man father but your father in heaven. So his dad, Judah, to take his late brother, Ur, his wife, as his own wife. Okay, this was a biblical principle back then. If you, had, if you as a younger brother, your older brother died, and your wife was, was unmarried, and you weren't married, you were to take her to raise up seed. Okay, this was a biblical thing they did back then under Old Testament Levitical law. Okay, so that's the context here. So, this was in order that the offspring might be counted as Ur's receiving his inheritance. Okay? This is just the way it worked back then. Onan took Ur's wife into his bed, but he wasted his seed on the ground. In other words, I don't know how to put this in a nice way. Hopefully you understand what just happened here. Okay? He wasted his seed on the ground when it came time to inseminate her. Okay? What is that? Wasn't well, that a form of contraception? Is it, I mean, that's called the withdrawal method in today's vernacular. It's called the withdrawal method. Okay? If you want to get technical about it. Onan took Ur's wife into his bed but wasted his seed on the ground, which was a form of contraception. He was trying to prevent her from becoming pregnant. But isn't that what contraception is? Why did he do this? Because he was self-centered. Which, if you really think about it, is the root of virtually every sin we commit, and is really the, the root of contraception. You can say, you give all excuses in the world, but a lot of it comes down to lack of faith, and not wanting to have another mouth to feed. And not, you know, really a combination of the two. Moses tell us, tells us that, quote, the thing which he did displeased the Lord. Wherefore he slew him. God killed him right there. Whoa. Well, okay. Again, if we take this verse further, can we can then this be viewed as an endorsement for contraception by God? If this was this is like a big billboard endorsement for God on contraception, he killed Onan. And he only did it once. This goes on probably millions of times across our nation on a daily basis. Historically, Christians unanimously saw the action of Onan as a violation of natural law. In his commentary on Genesis, Martin Luther called Onan's act sodomy. Whoa! Sodomy was, you know, essentially punishable by death in the Old Testament. He called it sodomy. Because it would be like self-sexual gratification. Which they actually, and we've done a whole teaching on this as well. Um... 
self-sexual gratification that produced nothing but the self-sexual gratification. There was no procreation. There was no anything. Okay? Now, let's read what Martin Luther said about this. About this verse in the Bible. The exceeding foul deed of Onan, the basest of wretches, means the, the, the worst of the low of the low, is what Martin Luther called this guy, is a most disgraceful sin. It is far more atrocious than incest and adultery. Whoa! I'm not, I'm sorry, but this is early church stuff here. I'm not saying Martin Luther was perfect, but I'm saying that this was how it was viewed back then. He called this more atrocious than incest and adultery. Because, see, the reason, reason why I think he said that is because this is, in his eyes, almost like murder. Let's read further. We call it unchastity. Unchastity. Yes, it's a sodomitic sin. Sodomy, sodomitic sins produce no good thing. They're unbiblical. There's no biblical precedence for the withdrawal method. There's no bib- biblical precedence for self-sexual gratification. There's no biblical precedence for gay sex. There's nothing good that can come out of it. This is why they call it a sodomitic sin. For Onan goes into her, that is, he lies with her and copulates, and when it comes to the point of insemination, spills the semen, lest the woman conceive. Surely, at such a time, the order of nature established by God in procreation should be followed. See, he's acknowledging it clearly here, because it's clearly laid out in the Bible. Accordingly, it was the most disgraceful crime. Consequently, he deserved to be killed by God. See, in God's eyes, that was a murder that was committed. He spilled the seed on the ground, that seed was destined to implant with the egg and form an inheritance for his brother heir. He didn't want that. So in essence, in God's eyes, he viewed it as a murder. That's why he killed him. He committed an evil deed, therefore God punished him. Now, listen. If anybody's ever used these things, or done these things, or... or, Listen, I'm not here to condemn you. There is forgiveness with the Lord Jesus Christ. But once you've had your eyes opened, you need to do something about it. Okay? That's all I'm saying. I'm not here to condemn people today, because, you know, that's not what I'm about. But I do want you to know. John Calvin agreed, calling Onan's act doubly monstrous. This is John Calvin. And tantamount to a violent abortion. That's what he called this. In which the offspring of his brother was torn from from the mother's womb and cast on the ground. Hey, I'm telling you, this is how they felt about this. This wasn't something you debated. Similar natural law arguments were made by John Wesley and great Baptist Charles Haddon Spurgeon and Reformed commentator Matthew Henry, among countless others. The Anglican Church became the first Protestant body to sanction the use of contraception, although it took great pains to emphasize that contraception should only be used by married couples. Still, the 1930 Lambeth Conference's declaration rejected natural law in favor of the law of good intentions. Oh, isn't that special? We get into the time in the 1930s of the politically correct, the law of good intentions. Well, Tell me, where is the law of good intentions in the Bible? There is a way which seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. Proverbs 14, 12, and 16, 25. I mean, 
you know, the, there's that, uh, then there's the saying, the road to hell is paved with good intentions. Which is actually pretty true. Well, I'm a good Catholic. I'm, I'm on my road to, to my Catholic heaven or whatever, and they're on the road to hell. It was, maybe they had good intentions, but it was misguided. Tell me. So where's this law of good intentions in the Bible? So contraception was deemed permissible where, in, at this time, at this Lambert concert, where there is, they declared at this Lambert conference that contraception is permissible, quote, where there is a clearly felt moral obligation to limit or avoid parenthood. Moral obligation. Who cares about your, whatever you think your moral obligation is? It goes against the word of God. It is precisely married couples, however, who are the least likely to have a legitimate reason to avoid parenthood. For having children is what they are urged to do in Scripture. Isaiah 5.20 says, Woe to them that call evil good and good evil. Conservative Christians were horrified by Lambreth. T.S. Eliot said that it was an un-Christian experiment to remake society. This is when it started in the 1930s, at this Lambreth thing. And the Lutheran hour speaker, Walter A. Mayer, called it one of the most repugnant of all modern aberrations. How far have we progressed from this already? This is nothing in today. They don't even, this isn't even a point of debate. But back then, he called it one of the most repugnant of all modern aberrations, representing a 20th century revival of pagan bankruptcy. Where does this stuff all start? Passing your children through the fire? Controlling what only God should control? It's pagan. So as a Christian, from a biblical perspective, are we ever supposed to get to a point where we say to God, Alright, God. Alright, Lord. That's enough truth for me. I don't want it anymore. I don't want it anymore. But so many Christians do that very thing. They just get to a point where it's like, Okay, I can stand all I can stand. I can't stand no more. I'm, I'm out of here. Too much. You're hitting too close to home. You're stepping on too many of my pet sins. I'm out of here. Is that what we're supposed to get to as Christians? Is there, okay, show me book, chapter, and verse on that one. That's what many Christians do when confronted with the truth that does not line up with what they've believed. Remember, the, tra- the traditions of men have made the word of God of an effect. The traditions of men would tell you contraception's okay. Church will tell you that today, too, pretty much. But remember, the Bible says the truth shall make you free. It also says in Hosea 4.6 that my children are destroyed for lack of knowledge. So it is better to learn these truths now and have an opportunity to repent or would it be better to never know these things that were covered today and potentially have to, to affect your life and your prayers? Remember, if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. What if you're doing this? And you don't even think it's, there's anything wrong. You think it might hinder your prayer life? Oh, I think so. And potentially have it affect your prayers in an adverse way and be ashamed at the judgment seat of Christ. If you even make it there. What if this is the one sin that's blinding you to the point that you're not even saved? Could be. So anyway, I'll go ahead and close this out in a word of prayer today. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this time that you've given us, Lord God, in heaven. We praise you, Lord God, for your goodness and your mercy. I pray, Lord God, that your truth has went forth today, not only, Lord God, from here, but wherever your word is being preached worldwide, that you would bless the ministers of God, Lord. They would speak boldly and proclaim your truth. Lord God, that the words of our mouth and the meditations of our heart would be pleasing in your sight, O Lord. That you would cleanse us from all unrighteousness, Lord God, and that you would forgive us for any and all sins that we've committed in any way, shape, and form. That the Lord Jesus Christ be glorified through the body of Christ. That many would be saved as a result of what you're going to do through us through the power of the Holy Spirit. 
Lord God, through your angelic host, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. We praise you, Lord God. We thank you. I do pray, Lord God, that the fear of God would be upon this planet, would be upon this message, in the name of Jesus Christ, and that that fear would drive many to repentance, that many would get saved, that thy name be glorified. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.